You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. The Trek Files, Season 10, Episode 5, Wesley and Riker Audition Sides, March 24th, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, welcome back, Star Trek fans, especially all you Star Trek historians. Hey, I am sure we'll find room for you canonistas. I do say that lovingly, as always. And all you ship nerds are going to find find space today. Basically, all of our lovely Trekophiles, spelled with an F, you're going to love today's show. Um... I, you didn't think I was going to let one of our prior guests get away with only one appearance. So we've got a special guest back today. Of course, they're all special. But wait till you see what we're talking about today. It's been such an amazing year for Star Trek. Uh, the season is zooming along for us as well as for all the new Treks. But you know what to do. Check out our Facebook page. Wherever you found our podcast, that's lovely. But our documents are always at our Facebook home, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. We've got a lot there for you this week. Here's an audio sample, as always. But you want to stick around. I'll be right back with this week's guest, and we will do a deep dive on all of this. Take a listen. If you've got a minute, Mr. Riker, could we have a human-to-human talk? Human-to-human? Like you usually talk to me. Straight. As if people my age aren't necessarily junior-grade life forms. (laughs) Yes, I, I remember. I remember how I felt then. Adults can be a pain, can't they? They talk to other adults one way, then turn to us and change their tone of voice, their choice of words. Let me put it in a way you'll understand, dear child. Part of it's habit, you know? Uh, Like the habit people used to have of treating some other races and colors as inferiors. So they've improved on that, but when are they going to change the way they treat young people? Come on now, Wes. Many have stopped doing that. But when are they all going to? Well, now, that's the first childish thing I've heard from you in a long time. It's childish to want equal treatment? No, to expect perfection from fellow humans. Oh. Yeah, maybe I see. Just like we finally understand that our parents aren't God, we've got to understand that people come in different varieties. And be grateful for that. Yeah. The Vulcan book you loaned me. Life would be about as exciting as mush if people were all the same thing. I doubt if the Vulcans ever put it exactly like that, but yeah, you've got the idea. Point well made. I'll drop some hints around the bridge. Especially Captain Picard. Oh, that's what this was all about. I'm 15. That's not childhood. In you, it certainly isn't, my friend. (laughs) Will do. job. You could have been Wesley. You still got it. You could have been Wesley. You still, still got, got it. it. And there you have it, Trekophiles, your season 10 exclusive with, uh, yes, with a Wesley Crusher nominee, our own John Champion, and our special guest for today, uh, post Riker with a Y, reading Riker with an I, Jonathan Frakes. Welcome back to the Trekophiles. Thank you for doing that. That was just awesome. That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> It's a nice scene. I'm, we're drowning you in these audition sides and scenes. What what percolates up when you see these? This is the roots of Riker. About as this rooty. is the roots of Riker is right. 
<laughs> red alert on those Riker roots. I remember, as I'm reading the character description of number one, that uh, when Riker was still spelled with a Y, by the way, for all of you who want to go into the weeds, um, I auditioned famously, as I've repeatedly told many people, seven times over six weeks. And as a matter of fact, on the cruise this year, I had the shirt that I wore to all seven auditions oh. that I wore. Your lucky shirt? Is that what it lucky, was? Well, oh. and by the end of it, I, I was so lucky, it sort of put itself on. It was, anyway, that's, an, <laughs> that's another story for another time. But Roddenberry describes Riker's um, responsibilities to, to provide the captain with the best uh, crew and the, and, and the, you know, the best functioning ship. And he uses the term daring do. And he says here he has a healthy sex drive, although if he is the young Captain Kirk, in quotes, of the command team, then Captain Picard is very much the matured Captain Kirk with much vaster experience to make sure that Riker, with a Y, is kept in his place, I think, and make sure in case Patrick reads this that he too is the sex symbol or whoever was going to play Picard. Hmm. Ironically, um, after I was lucky enough to get cast with Gene's help, he told me that it was important to him or that he thought that Riker should have what he referred to as a Gary Cooper Midwestern glint in his eye hmm. and not laugh. It was very important to him that he not laugh, try not to smile, that it be very, very, uh, very yeah. Gary Cooper, which I, I mean, I like Gary Cooper. But I'm a little more playful than that. I'm a little yeah, uh, yeah. too. And um, which is one of the reasons, in addition to the skin-tight, horrible spacesuit that Bill Tice looked, put us in in the first season, <laughs> that I look so uptight during the whole first season. Like I got a stick up my ass and I don't know how to walk. And I, I kept thinking about it. I got to please Gene because Gene wanted me to have a Midwestern, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, what, the lead with the shoulder the thing? Lead, well, the lead, that, that came, I stole that from John Cullum. I was looking for a, a walk. It's mm -hmm. a, sort of a John Wayne thing, but I had um, my only Broadway credit. I was in Shenandoah, and John Cullum was the star oh, of Shenandoah. Okay. And I had one scene. I was in the chorus. I was never in the chorus. I was in the chorus. <laughs> and I had one scene with Cullum. And I waited in the wings as he was finishing The Pickers Are Coming, which is this great song where he wandered around the stage and talked about the men who were going to court his daughter. And he smoked a cigar, and he had cowboy boots on. And, and I was. it was just like... A movie. I was in the wings like a kid staring at this big, he was big, baritone, and he walked around like Riker does now. <laughs> so I stole his walk ah, okay. as part of my uh, trying to find a character. And that was, uh, so that was, I, give, I credit John Cullum with, with Riker's walk, which is often mistaken for John Wayne's walk, but it's actually John okay, Cullum's walk. Okay, okay. And, you know, I think... Uh, That's a deep dive. That was a deep dive. <laughs> I'm just going to say, well, he was mainly a theater guy, but I'll, this is John Cullum, who was later in uh, Northern Exposure. Yes, sir. Yes. Very good, like, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hauling on Northern Exposure. Well, that's awesome. Now, did John Collum straddle chairs, though, when he sat down? I uh, know. That uh, was a mistake that I made early. <laughs> I, think it, I think it happened when the Whoopi set was built. When 10 Forward was built, the chairs had literally, you know, sort of halfbacks or quarterbacks, yeah. if you will. And because I was tall enough and because our clothes were so tight, I just swung the leg around one time and I thought, I'll just sit down that way. And, and I thought that was the end of it. 
But according to this wonderful YouTube compilation that I now have to live with and I'm <laughs> you know, secretly very proud of, mm-hmm. and I check how many views every time I look at it, <laughs> It is something that Riker did often enough that we could have a compilation video. <laughs> There's an awful lot of Frank's compilation videos out there. Uh, Most of the memes are from Beyond Belief. I was going to say, fiction, <laughs> this is not Beyond Belief. He's very much, it's on the, the proof is in the pudding out there. No, So I, so the, the description, do you remember using these these to actually audition with? Did you I don't go- remember the scenes. I the, the 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 Wesley scene rings a bell as, as as I was reading it, but I do remember rereading the character description and trying desperately to find out how to apply what I had learned about acting to to you know because it was clear that by the fifth, sixth, seventh time I was here that I was I must be in the running for the job or they wouldn't have brought me back and all they're not what, I, so there was something going on because I think you mentioned that six seven rounds was insane. Probably due to the fact that TNG was being financed so weirdly and, and put out, distributed. Yes. A I lot can. of a lot of fingers in the pie. There were a lot of fingers in the pie, but I talked to all these other regulars on the show. Nobody had auditioned that many times. Patrick a couple oh, of times. Right. Um, Marina, I guess, read for Denise's part or right. vice versa. Gates was offered the part to hear her tell it. I'm not sure if that's true. Brent auditioned a couple of times. I'm sure LeVar probably once, twice. I mean, it was a... It was an interesting... Well, LeVar was the uh, top was, liner as far as uh, marquee level. He was the most known. Well, he was the most known, and next to him was Will. Was Will, who right. Who had been in standby. Me. The rest of us were really unknown, so it I, was... Uh, I have the AP story where it's uh, LeVar Burton of Roots, Will Wheaton of Stand By Me, and a famous Shakespearean actor are the leads. <laughs> and that was oh, the, that's That great. was basically the... Yeah. But... Uh, and no, still true. I just, <laughs> 36 years later, <laughs> same headline applies. Yeah. Now, but he's, now he's a knight. <laughs> they, uh, I mean, but, you know, you've done North and South. You were, you were a working actor along there. When you, when you got in uh, after, what, it was, came down to you and Billy Campbell, and Gene yeah. kind of put his arm around you and said, you're really my guy. And then Billy came back as the outrageous O'Connor. Uh huh. Wonderful actor. And is still O'Connoring out there. Is he? He's, he's been in the animated, he's been on Prodigy, yeah. he's been... Uh, and I remember looking and following his career, obviously, and then a couple of times I tried to cast him when I was shooting in Vancouver. He's a—he would have been—he's very mm-hmm. similar, I think. I don't know how he's aged, but he—he was—he uh, certainly had a similar vibe to what I imagined my vibe was. <laughs> At the time, yeah. Well, there, you know, the the casting sheets. They're talking about this process. Uh, so I, f- I was digging back through. So March and April of 1987 was kind of when the casting, your seven rounds were going yeah. and some fewer and some more. But at one point, uh, I, it looks like Bob Justman, who would put like one, two or three stars down. He was a Bill Campbell person, mm-hmm. but he had you at two and a half stars. Mm-hmm. And his one little note he hand wrote, he said, ah, young Shatner, smir- smirky and a little smarmy. Ooh, <laughs> thank you, Bob. <laughs> but look who wound up. Look who wound up there. Smirky and a little smarmy. I'm going to take that one up from him. I like it. It's like, are we looking for a young Kirk or are we looking for a young Shatner? Oh, did I say that? Oh, oh. well put. <laughs> well, history's history. We got the documents here. What does, does something leap? At, I mean, these scenes, I was looking at them again. These ain't Shakespeare. It's no, all but, very situational. Act, you know, it's... It, and they, I guess they were meant to. Do you do you remember reading in a group whether it was the finalists or? I don't or remember just other reading actors? in a group, and I don't remember doing any uh, chemistry test with anyone, which is the way they cast now. I do remember reading with John here that this reminded, or not remember, but I'm reminded that this is 
very similar to uh, Will and Jonathan in terms of uh, mm-hmm. treating you know have, have them treat me like an adult. This was very much like our real relationship was, ironically. Which you all have been sh- as as the circles have turned here just recently, uh, that you all have been sharing on Ready Room and, and other places. Yeah. Well, so so these so I didn't know if these scenes would uh, these sides would would you know trigger anything or conjure up any any funny moment aside from just those seven eternal rounds. They were all solo reads. Those. No, no, I remember reading for Junie, and then she said she. But brought, I mean, just you, nobody oh, yeah. else in there. You're I don't not remember having any chemistry reads at all, and I could be wrong, but I do remember sweating through my Star Trek audition shirt and sitting in the outer office. I think the, John Pike might have been the last round that we had to go through to get uh, final approval. The word on the street still is, and this may or not may be urban myth, is that Star Trek The Next Generation was the first scripted television series made directly for mm-hmm. syndication. Mm-hmm. And that part of that motivation was that they would only have to pay us 40% of SAG minimum for residuals. <laughs> <laughs> Not that the uh, business is driven by greed. <clears throat> yes. Well, I mean, it was a gamble and a risk. Yeah, and, of course uh, it was. We had three contracts, by the way. You've probably heard this. Okay. We had a pilot Please. contract. Uh-huh. Then we had a first 13 contract. And if that went well, then they'd pick up the season. At that time, we were doing 26 a year. So they could have gotten out. They could have bailed after the pilot. They could have bailed after the first half of the first season. And... When we made it through the end of the first end of the first season, we I guess we were all allegedly picked up for a, a couple, three years. So they didn't have like a five year out of the gate, or a, I, I knew they didn't do seven, but the, I don't remember. The I, bean counters amortized everything for a seven year plan at the yeah, beginning. I think you're right, but yeah. I think our contracts were not for seven years. Okay. Okay. I was also told while we're talking about the specifics that this is your show. This is uh, the kind of thing you like. I know. <laughs> this is in the weeds bull about Star Trek. What do you mean? I'm not, I mean this, bullshit in the nicest possible way. I was going to say, this in the weeds bull is uh, <laughs> way like? different than your average. You're like, tell us about the Riker's role over the years, exactly. Jonathan. Yeah. That the, um, the episodes were sold not only as a syndication, but were sold with 50% of the advertising attached. Mm-hmm. And the shows were made for, I believe, a million six or a million seven a year, or a, an episode, which means that $700,000 of the uh, money was already attached to the show, and that the projection was that they were going to make $7 million an episode. And that was how... Have you heard mm-hmm. any of those numbers before? Oh, I've heard the million and a half-ish for yeah. the budget, but, uh, but you could, you, you're and sitting at home watching. Yeah. You'd see national commercials interspaced with yeah. the local, yeah. whatever time market was, was selling. So you guys launched now. A lot of Patrick has talked about this, the launch, all those different contracts. Did you? Uh, you weren't a big Star Trek fan. You knew Star Trek and pop. I knew it was out there. Yeah, but. but again, my wonderful wife who helped me through all this, she had a Shatner or a Kirk poster on her wall as a child. So oh. the idea, she was surprised I didn't know more about Star Trek. So we went to uh, probably uh, Blockbuster and read the VCRs so I could <laughs> get some concept of what. But we never really... before you started reading, not after you got the role, or no, no, before. Uh-huh. Well, well, you know, I guess probably after the first meeting with Junie, when I was clearly going to go back and read for the, some yeah. of the people. So, and what I found was the thing that we've all aspired to for thirty-seven years was that magic that um, Bones and Kirk and Spock had, and that triangle of taking the piss out of each other. There was a little irony, a little sarcasm. There was. That relationship and that triangle, I always thought, was one of the real keys mm-hmm. to the success of uh, 
and enduring success of, of yeah. the original series. Yeah. And we never really, we all, God, we aspired to it, you know? So when Gene is telling you to uh, have a glint and nothing else, yeah. that was a little That was a, a little, yeah. yeah, a little anathema to me, but he knew what he wanted, I think, and maybe I misheard him, and maybe he had an idea that he didn't want, maybe the note from Justman mm -hmm. resonated with him. I don't want him to be smarmy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So... Well, so uh, was there a time over the, let's say, the seven years, and then we get into the movies, and then we get into the, the fallow time, and now we've got the renaissance, I guess. Was there a time, say, over the seven years where, I mean, because you weren't routinely asked. Maybe Patrick was, and I think at the very end of the show, the writers were saying, is there something you want to wrap up here at the end of the sevens? But was there ever a time when you were either had a collaboration about Riker or you saw something drifting maybe that you didn't like and you wanted to push back on it? or Well, there were two two things come to mind. Morris Hurley, who was um, on as an executive producer, I think in by the, right, the first season. He right, was, yeah. by the end of the first exactly. season. Exactly. Yeah. So he took me to lunch, and um, we went to the track, and, and he asked, you know, he sort of got to know me a little bit. He found out that I liked jazz. He found out I played the trombone. And the next thing you know, I'm in the holodeck with Minuet. Which is one of my favorite episodes, and that came first from a, season, mid first season. Yeah, yeah, that came from a conversation with a writer who took an actor out and asked him some questions, which is a great thing to do. Um, the other thing that you sparked is that in the pilot, as you remember, it was very clear that Riker and Troy had been lovers, mm -hmm. and that there was an empathic connection there. I remember standing on the bridge, acting like I knew what she was feeling. I remember specifically that that was part of what Corey had wanted me to do. In the pilot. In the pilot. And yeah. she was a beta, so she was an empath. And I would, because I was in love with her, it was, you know, empathically mm -hmm. somehow. And that was unceremoniously swept under the rug as a, as a uh, opportunity to open both Troy and Riker mm -hmm. for alien relationships, for lack of a better word. However, Marina and I were so in love with the idea that these characters were serving together and we're lovers and, and, and we're adults and that we kept mm -hmm. secretly, we thought, um, the idea that we, we, we still had a relationship. The glances, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, the the glances, and the glances stayed in and they served us and they, they helped the show whether people like it or not. And then we flash forward to <laughs> Nemesis and someone says, wouldn't it be great if Riker and Troy got married? And I wondered, I thought, well, yes, that was, what a great idea. <laughs> and well, maybe they should. Maybe they do care about each other. Gosh, amazing how these fresh ideas after all these years I'm not are taking coming. credit for it, but I, I think that Marina wisely, or uh, we mm -hmm. wisely thought, this is only going to enhance our work because, you know, we had a lot of scenes where we had very little to do. So if you have something, that you, you know, it's like an actor, all actors that could have secrets, or they have to, you know, different actors have different techniques. But this was our moment of ours. This was a shared secret that we that helped inform our behavior. Right. Well, there's there's subtext on steroids coming alive. Yeah. Years in the making. Years in the making. Well, I didn't want to let you get away because we've we haven't often formally talked like this. But I wanted to ask you, and I don't not putting you on the spot. Do you remember the first time you and I had a conversation? Because it wasn't live. I mean, it wasn't face to face. No, I don't. Do you remember the first my book, The Next Generation yes. Companion? Yeah. I'm sitting still at work in Oklahoma at my newspaper. I get this call. They say, Larry, it's Jonathan Frakes on line one. And the uh -huh. book had been out about a month, 
Do you remember this at all? I don't. I remember this. So you're not even in L.A. You're off, you're probably at a convention or something. And I get this call, and you say, is this Larry Nemechek? You had, like, called Paramount and Pocketbooks and right. tracked a number down for me. And well, I said, like the story already. I'm standing in the bookstore at, what you know, Philadelphia, or maybe you were back home. Maybe, yeah. Wherever. And uh, I'm standing in the store, and I'm looking at this book, Star Trek The Next Generation. This is magnificent. This is wonderful. Good job, man. And I'm sitting oh. there going... Okay, I don't know this guy because I didn't. I didn't get to interview you all for the book. I didn't for ages. Anyway, that's a that's the first time we um, and very impressive. I was like, "There's a guy that's going places." <laughs> <laughs> why did, Why would you think that? <laughs> no, oh, no, no, I'm so glad. That's the kind of impulse that um, I try to listen to. Yeah, and it it never doesn't it doesn't it never doesn't help. You remember it fondly. It, it's it's now at 70 when I'm directing. It's so important to remember that Sir Patrick Stewart and other actors that uh, have been doing it for all the they needed an attaboy. They need a pat. Yeah. They need a you know, great scene, good beat. Good, and they, you know, people need to be appreciated. And I appreciated what you did, and I tracked your ass down. You know who, who else did the same thing to me? He's a good little... Okay. After First Contact came out, I went to a friend's sort of farm in Great Barrington, New York, to uh, hide because I had no idea what the experience was going to be like. Mm. It was a success. The movie made money. It had a good weekend. And um, Pacini gets a call on his, I guess on his home phone. I guess this was pre-cell phones, right? This would be, right, this right. Would be 96, right? right? And it's um, DeForest Kelly oh. who had called Rick Berman who had found, Rick found out where I was somehow, and D said, hi, it's DeForest Kelly. I said, hi, D. He said, I saw the movie. I loved the movie. You did a great job. I got chills just talking about uh -huh. it. Was that, uh -huh. it was, I had the same feeling that this was him. This was D. This was Bones. Yeah. He found, tracked me down. The way I tracked you down, and it, it was it was wonderful. Well, that uh, the, our listeners know how I am about D. Kelly and, and McCoy out of the original series, but that's all. Cause, and then he was gone three years later. Yeah. Yeah, the first of he them. He was the best of them. Uh, I, in many ways, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say that. But speaking of the best of them, my gosh, Jonathan. And uh, once again, I want to say, everybody, you've seen it by now, but uh, Jonathan's awesome. That's such a trite, overused word. But uh, we're getting to Riker. We never... I, I don't, the things you did this year in Picard, did you, how does it even compare with what, you know, here's the weekly grinding out the 26 episodes back in the day. I, it just, it just doesn't compare. It's an entirely different animal. And I, a lot of it I credit Michael Chabon, who wrote the, that Pizza Riker mm -hmm. at the end of season one. <laughs> and then that great speech to the Romulans at the, uh, at the very end mm -hmm. of season one. So those, those, that Riker informed Terry and Terry was a Riker fan. So I've never had better stuff to play than Terry Metalis. Yeah, Terry yeah, Metalis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, were you happy with the CG scene? The the young Thad was just born scene, you and, and Patrick as Picard, the tin forward, where you're toasting your son's oh, birth? Oh, I was going to say, well, I, we euthanism. never saw Thad. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I, I, you remembered something I didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I thought they did a, the de-aging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I loved it. Yeah. 
Anyway, well, we've loved this season. We've loved the career, and I love the fact that you were able to come on and join us. The pleasure is mine. This season, this has just been long. an awesome visit. Yes. Too long between calling you at home <laughs> in Oklahoma. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think we've crossed paths once or twice. I think we have. Okay, well, I have this list of 47 things now I'm going to ask you to do, so uh, we'll make up for that now. Thank you. Hey, the Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. All of our documents and your chance to comment, and please do, are available right there at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Uh, yeah, that's me, at larrynemechek.com. That's where you can also link in for all of our new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.